You're listening to the ESO Network, your station for all things geek. It's your old pal, Phantom Troublemaker, with a new episode of the Needless Things Podcast, part of our 31 Days of Halloween. You can find the Needless Things Podcast on iTunes and on Stitcher, as well as at needlessthingssite.com, where you can also find five days a week, sometimes more, all new original content about toys, movies, music, and all manner of pop culture dorkery. Uh, the stuff that we all like on the internet nowadays, right? Today's topic is the horror of the Batman. And uh, I am in my car again recording the intro, so I apologize if there are any sound issues. I've got the headphones plugged into my trusty Android using the voice recorder. Last time, or the first time I did it, I didn't use the headphones, which was a bad move on my part because everybody could hear all the turn signals and the air conditioning and everything else. Uh, this might be slightly better, uh, but hopefully it's good enough to put on here because I am strapped for time, you guys, this week. All right, October for me is the busiest month of the year because typically I'm doing some troublemaker stuff whether I'm hosting a show or, or doing a thing uh, also it's my son's birthday on the 27th it is my anniversary uh, with my wife how do I phrase that it is it is the 10 year anniversary this year of my marriage to the most wonderful woman I have ever met. Ten years. It's crazy. Coincidentally, it is also, or last month really, was the ten-year anniversary of me being at the day job I have, which you guys know how I feel about that. It's almost the polar opposite of how I feel about my wife. Uh, But they did eventually, for those of you that follow me on the social media, uh, Phantom Turbulmaker on Twitter or El Phantasmus with a PH on Facebook. Uh, you may know that my 10-year anniversary came and went and not a word was said. And one of the good people that I work with apparently said a little something about it. And the other day I got my plaque and uh, cake and ice cream, which normally I do not partake in, but I earned that fucking cake. Let me just tell you. Uh, So, you know, that happened. I still haven't received my anniversary gift, whatever that might be. I don't know if it'll be maybe a nice turtleneck sweater or a pair of clogs with the company logo on them. Who knows? Uh, I'm sure it would be exciting if I was ever going to get it. I'm not honestly all that worried about it. It's good enough that I've had a job for 10 years and uh, I can pay the bills for the most part, uh, barring any huge unpleasant surprises. But anyway... October is busy. All those things are going on. And uh, I've got 
two days, two overtime shifts this month, in addition to all the busy that's going on now. You may think to yourself, well, what's the big deal? Two shifts? Whatever. I work 12-hour shifts, and when I work, if I'm working on a day shift, I get up at 3.30 in the morning, and I get home. If I'm lucky, I'm home by 6.30. Sometimes it's 7. So what I'm saying here is days that I work are shot. I might as well not exist on those days. Nights aren't quite as bad. The, those, uh, I'll, I'll leave for work at maybe 3.45 and uh, get home earlier in the morning. Sometimes I can get home before 6 in the morning. So that's not quite as strenuous. And I also tend to sleep a lot better. You know, When I'm on days, getting up at 3.30 in the morning is unnatural. That's the time I go to bed uh, left to my own devices. So... That is never going to be a good fit for me. And we alternate uh, every two weeks, so that throws a bigger wrench into it. So anyway, two extra shifts adds a lot, but it's also a shit ton of money. So I'm going to do it, but it's just a busy month. So I'm sitting here in the car recording to you guys because it's out of necessity. Because I'm going to go home, produce the episode that I recorded with Mr. Mike Gordon on Tuesday night, and it's going to be up tomorrow. It is Thursday right now, which means when I get home, we have to watch, we've got a lot to watch. We've got Arrow, uh, we've got a new iZombie, and just no time to watch them, because uh, today when I get home, we've got to watch NXT Respect, because my son is very excited about seeing the Bailey-Sasha match. It has not been spoiled. I've managed to very carefully cruise the internet throughout the day today and not have uh, the end of the match or the outcome spoiled. So as of right now, I don't know what it is. I'm very excited about it. I'm excited about the whole show because we've got the Dusty Classic or the Dusty Tag Team Invitational or or whatever, Memorial Tournament, whatever they're calling it. We've got that, which is going to be great. Uh, just, it, I'm super stoked about it. So as soon as I get home, we're putting that thing on, eating some dinner, and then I'm going to go downstairs and I'm going to throw this show together as fast as I can. And I'm sorry that this intro isn't spookier, but that's just how things worked out. I will do better next week. And, and I actually, as of now, do not know what the, I, I've got a list of spooky topics, but I have not planned the recording of next week's episode yet because that's just how hectic this month has been so far. And you know what contributed a lot to this month being hectic? Is the fact that uh, last month, Dragon Con was essentially a week late. So September was truncated big time, and, and it just I didn't have the prep time that I normally have. Oh, here's a spooky thing. So it's been raining for the past... Like, basically, since Dragon Con. Uh, I went three weeks without mowing the lawn because it just never stopped raining, or at least not when I was home and able to mow. It finally stopped raining yesterday. So, or I guess it stopped raining Tuesday, so it stayed dry long enough for me to mow the lawn. So yesterday, I got up, I mowed the lawn, and then when my son got home from school, we put up all the Halloween stuff that we were able to put up. Uh, which is Spooky Guys on the Porch. If you follow me on Instagram, uh, Phantom Troublemaker on Instagram, 
you can see all the spooky stuff we've got out, or at least a good bit of it. I couldn't take pictures of everything because Instagram, it's, you can't expand those. There's no point in putting little tiny details. But anyway, lots of cool stuff, zombie bird feeder, lots of ghosts, lights, although... We couldn't plug in the lights or our inflatable Mr. Stay Puffed that we have that I think runs about nine feet tall because, uh, unfortunately, Mrs. Troublemaker stored some kind of weird house cleaning agent in the top of our stuff locker, our outdoor stuff locker, where I keep the extension cords and the timers for the lights and motor oil and Windex. I don't know what's, I don't even know what all's in there. It's this, it's, it's the outdoor locker that is for all the junk that is too odiferous or dangerous or, or dirty to go anywhere inside. So she puts this stuff on the top shelf with the extension cords. And, you know, I don't blame her because who would have thought this stuff would leak? But somehow or other, the bottle leaked. So there's this big puddle. Fortunately, the shelf was bowed down a little bit from the weight of the extension cords and the other shit sitting up there. So, but there's this big pool of house cleaning agent on the shelf. And of course, the timers. I have two timers that I use for our Halloween and our Christmas lights. And of course, the two timers were like the only things that were right in the puddle. The extension cords were up on this little tray thing. Uh, nothing else was really liquid damageable. Uh, but the timers were shot, so we couldn't do the lights. I mean, I, I strung them, but we couldn't light them up and, and uh, plug in Mr. Stay Puffed or any of that kind of stuff. So... That's unfortunate, but she went out and got a new timer today. Hopefully one will do the trick. Why do those things only have one plug? It's because then you've got to buy other extension things. I, I know how this works. Uh, but anyway, we've got a new timer, and I guess maybe tomorrow or Saturday I'll get the lights hooked up. It Maybe it'll only take a few minutes. Maybe I'll do it today. But you know what? It's one of those things where I'm going to go out there and be like, okay, cool, I'm going to do this in like five minutes, and then a thing is going to happen, and another thing is going to be missing or something. I, I'm not doing it tonight. I don't have the time. I can't. All right, guys. I don't have a musical entry this week because I just, like I said, I'm strapped for time. I, I can't, I don't have the extra time to uh, cut something in there. It's going to take enough time to produce this thing as it is. So we're going to go straight into myself and the wonderful Mike Gordon talking about the horror of the Batman, which is basically just the history of supernatural and horror elements and how they've been infused into the Batman mythology and how well they work with the character of Batman. It's a great conversation. I'm very proud of myself for coming up with the topic. And uh, honestly, we barely scratched the surface. You guys, please give us feedback, uh, either phantomtroublemaker at gmail.com or please go on Facebook and join the Needless Things podcast Facebook group and give us ideas for the show, give us feedback, whatever. All right, here it is, the horror of the Batman. All right, so I am here with my illustrious friend, Mike Gordon. How are you doing tonight, Mike? Howdy. Uh, and our topic is the horror of the Batman. 
But even though that's our topic, before we get to that, I want to discuss something that came up, uh, actually came up yesterday, and I'm kind of springing this on you a little bit. But, uh, if you want to talk about it for just a second, Frank Miller's very interesting cover <laughs> for The Dark Knight 3, The Master that's a, Race. That's a different kind of horror, isn't it? <laughs> <laughs> well, it was interesting because, I saw the picture and, and, you know, as, as with anything on the internet, you have a gut reaction to the thing you see before you, you look at what's behind it. And I, all I saw was this massively shitty drawing of Superman. And I thought, ugh, that looks like something out of Dark Knight Returns. Or, uh, Dark Knight Strikes Again, sorry. Dark Knight Strikes Again, yes. Dark Knight Strikes Again. Uh, and sure enough, that's kind of what was going on. But, uh, for the listeners, if you haven't seen it, just, Look for uh, Dark Knight 3 Frank Miller cover, and I'm sure it'll Google it right up for you. Yeah, I think it was just released this week. Uh, and it, it's an it's an interesting conversation to have for just a few minutes because my gut reaction was, wow, that's awful. Uh, but I know that is not the interior art for the Dark Knight 3 because we know Adam Kubert and uh, some a couple other artists are doing the interior art, uh, which is a good thing after Dark Knight Strikes Again. Uh, which I, I am, I try to be positivity guy. I try to promote what I love, but when it comes to Dark Knight Strikes Again, come on, you guys. Yeah, it's uh, it's look, um, uh, the the sequel to Dark Knight Returns, uh, which in itself sounds like a sequel, uh, so it, it's always confusing to say. Uh, <laughs> but um, Dark Knight Strikes Again was obviously uh, a different a different. Uh, animal altogether, and um, you know, and that's when everybody is kind of known. And that when that's that. I mean, we kind of all suspected before then, but that's when we all kind of knew that Frank was definitely on a different wavelength than he had been before. <laughs> right, and, right, and 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 not exactly um, in the in the best. I mean, everybody was hoping for the return of old Frank and right. that's just, we're past that point now. We're beyond that now. So, so Frank Miller gives us what he wants to give us, give us, which is not what we want. Um, and I think that that cover is an, a perfect example of it. I mean, he, Frank's not stupid and Frank's not incompetent. Right. Frank knows exactly what he's doing. So when he draws this this thing, you know, Batman or Superman like this, uh he knows what he's doing. Um he it, this is the Superman that he wants to portray. This is the Superman that he wants to give us. Well, it's and not a Superman I think anybody really, well, I don't want to say anybody. That's not true. There's some Superman haters and I I mean honestly, I counted myself uh, among them. I don't even them know if he's a Superman a hater. Ago. Well, he's He's very interested in deconstructing Superman. How about that? Well, yes, and he's definitely interested in yes on 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 the ways that Superman can be uh, represented and and yes, and I think you know obviously he kind of uh, touched upon that on um, uh, with Strikes Again, and now he's you know continuing it, which I don't think anybody should be surprised by. I mean, that's no, no, this is what Frank does now. Um, and of course, DC is going to say yes, bring the money in because what what I realized thinking about this earlier uh, is, is it doesn't matter how people receive this cover image because right now DC is just sitting back and enjoying the attention sure. that 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 it's generating and, and I wonder even you know you said Frank Miller's not stupid he's not I wonder how calculated 
this is, you know? I mean, he, he obviously has his portrayal of Superman that he wants to get out there, but at the same time, there's part of me that, that has no trouble believing that Frank Miller's went, you know, the more outrageous and ridiculous I make this Superman, the more talk it's going to generate, the more hype it's going to generate. Yeah, I sort of wonder too, you know, and, and a lot of it's on Frank. I mean, Frank's done a lot of missteps in the last, For oh, sure. I don't know, two decades. Yeah. Um, and so, yes, we, we all clap when he falls down now because uh, we kind of expect it. Um, we want, I think a lot of us want him to see, like, to rise to prominence again. But we also, you know, there's, the, there's a lot of people that take a lot of joy in seeing him fail again as well. Um, and we're not, we're kind of expecting it. Um, so I do think that, you know, there's that element of there, of it too, where, you know, everybody's kind of looking at this as, as you would like, you know, rubbernecking an accident. Yeah. Like you're just like, hey, let's see how bad this is, you know, and, and, uh, you know, let's see what that crazy Frank is up to now. Um, but I think he's definitely got something to say and it should be kind of interesting to see. This is just the cover, you know, so we'll see if Brian and Adam and the rest of everybody else is involved. Cause I know that there's other stuff in there too. There's other artists that are working on stuff as well with, I think there's backup stories and whatever. So it should be really interesting to see if they are like, you know, they're going to make the, the medicine go down a little bit easier, right. so to speak, with what Frank wants to, the story that he wants to do. I, I see Brian Azzarello teamed with Frank Miller is just throwing fuel on a fire. I don't think <laughs> I don't think he will tone anything down. No. Uh, I, no. and I, I have enjoyed a lot of what Azarello has done. I would be disappointed if he did, actually. Yeah, 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 yeah. That you'd be like, well this isn't him. <laughs> yeah, I don't I don't feel this is Frank. I this just feels like, you know, baby Frank or you yeah, know, yeah. It, it, it took the fangs away. So and I don't think Brian, you know, is doing that. I think he's you know, I think it's just one of those things where Frank came up with the story and, and Brian's going to, yeah, like, right. you know, like bring it out to its fullest, as offensive as it may be. Uh, because, <laughs> and you know, I kind of, you know, I kind of hope it is, you know, let's, well, it has let's to see, be at this point. let's see Frank push us. Right. You know, and if this was somebody else, if this was somebody else that had a stylized form, you know, Paul Pope, for example. Um, and, and, and Paul Pope's done Batman story before, but if he had come out with some sort of weird image of his version of Superman, you know, that would get a lot of heat as well, but I don't think it would be treated quite as much as this. Uh, is, well, I'll know? tell you, I'll tell you who I thought of and what kind of brought me to middle ground on this was if, if that had been a Sam Keith image. Yes. It would have yes. looked, it would have looked much stranger <laughs> and i would have been like wow that's a really cool sam keith superman but it's because of the precedent you know sam keith we know he's a weirdo we know he has his own inimitable style nobody does superheroes or anything else like sam does whereas frank miller particularly when it comes to batman we he has essentially one strike against him and everything else is pretty golden so it's like, it, it's like, uh, that I've got to reconcile this bizarre Superman with what I, I hope will be a good Batman story and a return to form for Frank Miller with Batman. And just think about it. I mean, Frank 
knows this. It's I yes. mean, people seem like yes. they don't, that like oh, he doesn't have a clue. Yeah, and yeah, he's not he some doddering fool. Like, like oh, I, it, it looks like you know Superman's manhood is is showing, and and you know how dare you know or what you know that seems like a, a pretty incompetent move. No, no, it's not. It's like it's not. I mean, think about it. Frank Miller has gotten away with putting Superman's manhood on the cover. Like, yeah. who else could do that? And the thing is, it's not uh, that we want to see it. Well, and the thing is, it's impressive manhood. <laughs> he didn't, he didn't give him a shrinky dink. Well, no. <laughs> I mean, that's, that is super junk. Yes. And, absolutely. Uh, I think, super junk indeed. I think, uh, that's 10 minutes talking about super junk. I think it is time to move on to our main topic. Uh, but thank you for indulging me with that one. Cause it was too, it was too hot of a topic. Absolutely. Even, even though this is our Halloween episode, although some might consider that image to be fairly terrifying. Yeah. Well, and it's semi relevant too. I mean, we're going to probably like, you know, I, I don't know where you want to start as far as, uh, Batman and, and, and sort of the, his horror, his horror roots and elements. But, you know, Frank, you know, back in the groundbreaking uh, Dark Knight Returns, uh, he uses a lot of those elements and, and made Batman more horrifying and formidable than he had been in a long time. So, oh yeah, and some of those uh, panels are are straight out of like jump scares from horror movies. Absolutely, absolutely, and not just the way he treats Batman, but of course his other foes, particularly. Uh, Joker and, and yes. the mutants. I mean, there, there, there's some scary images in there. Some, some, some really intense stuff in there. Yeah, actually, it's interesting. I, I had not planned this when I brought this topic up. I just thought it would be a good topic. Um, but, and, and I, I do want to mention that originally we were going to be joined by, uh, Michael Bailey, who, who is someone that I ended up working with at Dragon Con and who is another Batman aficionado, which, Really, I'm almost glad he's not here because that would have, between you guys, that would have rendered me mute. <laughs> no, uh, I, I find that hard to believe. <laughs> but uh, he couldn't make it because of my my schedule and his schedule. Uh, we will definitely have him on in the future. But I just thought the horror of the Batman would be a good topic for the three of us. But actually, I realize now uh, the place to start is with the very first Batman comic that I ever bought and read which is Detective Comics, number 520. And I know I said I wasn't going to go through numbers, but it's sitting here in front of me, so I can't not do it. Um, It's Detective Comics, number 520. It's from November of 1982, which means I was six years old when I read the story of the ghost of the dead Hugo Strange haunting Rupert Thorne and various other people throughout Gotham. This this comic was my first exposure to Batman other than the Adam West TV show. And I don't even know that Super Friends was out at this point, but I know that the uh, um, the Filmation Batman cartoons had happened. So other than Adam West and and Cartoon Batman that was essentially based on Adam West... This is the first Batman I read, and it is a dark, weird Tales from the Crypt of a story. Uh, and, and it's, I remember not understanding what was going on, and honestly, I don't have the issues that come before or after it, so I still don't understand what's <laughs> going on. Uh, 
But the whole story is Hugo Strange's ghost is haunting people, and then at the end, he somehow or other appears and is going to take his revenge on someone. And it's left as a cliffhanger, and obviously I need to get the rest of these issues. But the point here is, this is my exposure to Batman as horror. Because it is certainly a horrifying concept. Uh, it is a very strange issue, even given what I know Look now. Look at you with the pun. Huh? Look at you with the pun. Oh, oh! Yeah, uh, <laughs> there you go. Uh, even given what I know now about Batman and the world of Batman and some of the things that I've read that we'll be discussing uh, in this episode, this is still a weird standalone sort of issue. Uh, so that that was my first realization that that there was darkness to Batman in a way that I'd, I'd never experienced before. Uh, I would imagine you probably got it a little bit earlier than that. What, what's the first time you remember that supernatural type element creeping in? That's a I I, I can't pinpoint it. It, well, and even uh, if you can't nail very, it down, it's very just, difficult for me to pinpoint. Like you know, people ask me like, "What was my first issue of comics? What was my first sure, Batman issue?" Sure. Et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. I, I can't. I really can't because for me, it just seems like it's he's always been there. Like whether or not uh, it was from the, the Super Friends or the comics or the '60s series or what have you, it just seems like you know I was being I, I was surrounded by Batman. And, uh, and, and in all different formats, you know, I was watching the 60 series, uh, in the daytime, like weekdays. I was getting the Super Friends on the weekends and I was getting the comics, which were very different. Uh, I mean, you're right. Some of those comics, um, were like that. You look at the covers and some of the interior art as well, but the covers, they look like they're horror comics. Yeah, well, that's uh, the cover of this one. Has, is that the one where he's ripping off his face? It's Hugo Strange in the Batman suit. Oh, gotcha. Okay. In the doorway with lightning behind him, he's drenched in rain, and there's a guy pointing a flashlight at him and screaming. Yeah. I mean, it is. Yeah, yeah. I know which one you're talking about. Right. Straight out of Tales and it, from the and his, and his And his head is cocked, so yes. it looks almost yes. like yes. he's hanging there. Yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, there's, uh, yeah, there's, um, uh, that's 520. Um, there's a issue, uh, and I, I don't usually like do this either, but, um, <laughs> 470, 471 of Detective Comics, which has Hugo Strange in it. Um, and there's a cover, and this is the one I thought you were talking about, because Hugo Strange is like ripping off his face. Oh my God. Um, and in this, like, and it looks like, I mean, this looks like it could have been an EC Comics cover. He's ripping off his face. Uh, and Batman's just horrified, and he's like, "You!" And you know, and he goes, "Oh yeah, I'm looking at it right now." Yeah. Yes, Batman. The oh dead still- What's really great about this whole thing is like, you look at it it's so fair in the in the corner, you see the comics code. Like, this is okay, yeah, right, right. <laughs> and of course, you could be in the Superman movie. Um, so, uh, <laughs> hey, kids. Yeah. Oh well, that's this one. Uh, this is this is actually notable for that for the 520 that I was talking about. Because it has a 16-page preview of Masters of the Universe, oh, wow. which in 1982 was brand spanking new. Yeah, he's... and and to think that that was being advertised in this creepy ass comic. Um, it, it, look, it doesn't take much if you go into, and this is right from like the the very first few issues of Batman. 
you go right, uh, like look at just, you know, Google, um, Batman comic covers and, and there's elements of horror like on those covers right from the beginning. Well, that's actually something I, I wanted to cover. If you go back, um, I think it's the second or third person that, uh, Batman faced was the monk. Yes. And one of my favorite covers. Well, You're talking about, oh yeah, the one with the castle. I was, yes, the, the total straight out of Transylvania castle. I was not aware. I, I've, the early history of Batman is something that I've never really delved into. But Matt Wagner did yep. an update of that story. Yes. Uh, actually, a two. I, I don't remember how many issues total. It was two separate miniseries. Uh, the first one, oh gosh, what was it? It was Batman. Uh, the second one was Batman and the Mad Monk. Yes. And the, first uh, the other one, one was the, oh, it was the, was it the Monster Men? Yes, and the Monster Men. Yeah. And they're fantastic. And oh, absolutely. Not not only are they great retellings of those early stories, but they slot so nicely into that whole year one long Halloween continuity. Yep. Um, yeah. The um uh the seventy fifth anniversary short that Bruce Tim did. Yes, is from that. Is fit, fits that mold too. Yes. Yes. It's it's got the the whole scene with the plane. It's very and I would love to see more stuff like that, man. Oh yeah. Uh, yeah, there's, there's, uh, yeah, it's great. If you look at, um, there's, there's three covers that are like the kind of the trilogy there. There's Detective Comics number 31, which has, uh, the old Bob Kane, Bill Finger, et cetera, et cetera, <laughs> uh, Batman figure standing, looming over this mountain, uh, old castle. Uh, and then there's another one, uh, Batman, I think it's, uh, 227 327 I can't read the number on that sorry but I'm familiar with it but I can't uh, the number is oh 227 which is 1927 227 Marla yeah. Gibbs boom you see that the the Dean of God's Mansion yes uh another gorgeous cover and yes if you're listening along at home just pull these covers up and it's yeah google this stuff it's they're beautiful covers and this is Neil Adams yes Neil Adams kind of puts his take on it, and then boom! Uh, later on, we have uh, much more recently we have Matt Wagner putting his his stamp on it as well. So uh, yeah, it's and it's you've seen. I mean, that cover's been copied and referred to, uh, paid homage to, et cetera, et cetera, in a lot of other books as well. But um, it, you know, it's so right from the beginning. I mean, this is issue thirty one, but still, right from the beginning, Detective Comics Batman is a. I mean, he was constructed as a hero. But yet he's using this, you know, tactic that he's going to instill fear in in criminals. So his right from the beginning, his uh, his uh, operation is to to frighten people, to frighten the, uh, the 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 certainly the criminals. But I don't even know. I mean, if he cares if the the innocents are frightened as well. I mean, it's, it's just kind of the, the, the price they pay. Sure. Absolutely. And that it's, uh, I love the idea of him using the dark, using fear, using, uh, paranoia as his tools. And, you know, if you guys have been listening to the show for any amount of time, you've certainly heard me poo poo the Nolan Batman movies. Uh, I watched them. I watched Batman begins, uh, the other day, with my son 
because I felt like he he's seen enough at this point. He can handle that one. He's not ready for Dark Knight. He's not ready for Joker making a pencil disappear. Uh, but we watched Batman Begins, and he was definitely freaked out when Batman sprayed the fear gas into Scarecrow's face, and we got oh, that, right. that scary demon Batman. Yep. But what I wanted to point out is I think one of the finest Batman moments ever committed to film uh, the first scene where he is Batman and the criminals are in all the freight containers and it's shot like a horror movie. Yes. That to me, and granted there's other stuff that I, you know, I enjoy more or is more fun or is more whatever. But as far as capturing the original intent of Batman, that scene is phenomenal. Uh, just the way it, I mean, it, it could very easily be, you know, Michael Myers or a demon or whatever from any horror movie you've ever watched. But it's Batman, and that makes it so powerful because Nolan uses those horror movie tropes, but instead of feeling kind of bad for rooting for the stalker, we get to cheer him and be excited. Because there's always that element. You know, any any horror fan knows we like seeing the kills go down. But there's also that little tiny bit of you that feels guilty for enjoying it. <laughs> but Nolan gave us this gift of, I'm going to give you all these takedowns, and you get to do nothing but root for them, and just enjoy the fuck out of them. And, and that scene, is it's, it's just gleeful to watch it go down. Absolutely. Absolutely. The... Uh... Man, it's it's used so many times, whether it's in the comics or in the animated series, uh, even in the '60s series. I mean, it's tongue in cheek, but I can remember uh, an ep- an episode, and I can't remember which episode, so I'm not that you know skilled. I'm afraid, but that's okay. You're a- on, you're on the Needless Things podcast. <laughs> we we don't ask for that. There is an episode, and if you've been watching the '60s series, I know it's in the first season where uh, they're uh, Commissioner Gordon. They've they've captured one of the bad guys. And uh, they've got him in police lockup room. And, uh, you know, Batman is going to spend some time with him uh, to to get him to confess. And the first thing that you see is, like, when the guy's in the room, is that, you know, Adam West does the shadow. The shadow, so you've yes. Got this, like, so you've got this shadow on this guy. And, yeah, I mean, it looks kind of ridiculous in, in this setting. But, I mean, they're using it like, I mean, that's the shadow of the bat. Yeah, this is not just a comic book title. <laughs> it's a, it, it is something that's very effective uh, as as far as whenever you, you see Batman, like when you see Batman, and like I said, in comics or in movies or wherever you see him, that shadow of him uh, is, is quite. Um, I don't know. It's it's one of those things where it's kind of like the symbol on his chest. You know, it's a bat uh, against a uh, well. A lot of times, it's against the yellow background or against a moon. You know, so that image right. of the bat against the moon just, you know, strikes fear. Well, and it's just, it's it's very, you know, from the point of view of the criminal or the evildoer or whatever the case may be, it is, it is such a distinct thing. Somebody is trying to scare you, and that in and of itself is scary. Who is this, you know, even if they're not familiar with Batman... Who is this person trying to freak me out that that ha- that feels that they have the power to freak me out that wants something from me that like 
that I'm in a position where I am going to be freaked out. It's all this psychological, you know, these tools that, that Bruce Wayne uses. Right. I mean, uh, a lot of his appeal to a lot of us is not only is he just a, a guy. He's a guy. He's a man. He's got no mutant powers. He's not a metahuman. He wasn't, like, from another planet. He is human uh, and with everything that goes along with that. Now, he has, you know, uh, trained and and become, you know, very, like, almost, almost superhuman because he's just trained himself to such a degree that he's the epitome of everything that's, quote, unquote, perfect. Well, right? if... if- if he killed, he would be the world's deadliest assassin. Yes, that's fair. That's absolutely fair. Um, but his his whole like you know to him he's like that's not enough. Like in order to 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 do the thing that I have to do in order to fight the the, the criminals that I have to fight, I have to become something more than human. Uh, and and that's his big you know uh, um, sort of dramatic. Uh, moment where he's sort of like you know a, ma- a magician where he's an illusionist yes. yes you know he wants he doesn't want criminals to know he's human he figures out that it's about the prestige he doesn't even want his friends to know he's human i mean how right. many times has does he just disappear on on commissioner gordon absolutely um so so it was established very early on that a lot of elements were being borrowed from horror uh from from thrillers from the darker you know noir obviously but at some point direct horror influences stepped in Uh, i don't know the first instance but i know the first instance i am aware of was gotham by gaslight wow which was the first uh elseworlds book which obviously opened up a, a whole new way to oh, introduce yeah. horror and supernatural elements into Batman. Now, there are a few things prior to that that were used. Batman could sort of play in some areas of DC that other superheroes couldn't, like Hellblazer and Swamp Thing. His presence and the way the character was done uh, i mean he was at john constantine's birthday party <laughs> <laughs> well i also remember back in the uh late 70s early 80s i had a a very large uh one of the giant size batman books and uh i i can't remember what the the name of it was um and it's something that i i never really knew because i got it sort of second hand and the cover was ripped off so i got you know one of those so I don't even know what the I didn't even know what the cover looked like for ages. Uh, there was no internet to look it up then. Um, right, right. So, um, but it was Batman in the House of Mystery. So, oh, wow. um, so I mean, we're talking back way back then. I mean, and that was one of you know DC's big horror books, House of Mystery, House of Secrets, and here was Batman going into that uh into uh that house um so and that was really you know a, a very gothic tale well and he i mean he interact and i'm i'm using gotham by gaslight as the first time i came upon it cuz i didn't uh i sure. i kind of moved 
mostly forward with Batman. I, I didn't, you know, I, I read that one comic, uh, probably a few here and there, but didn't get fully invested again until I think I read year one, maybe. And by that time, they were trying, trying to ground him a bit more. But going back, I mean, he interacted with Dead Man, which, you know, it doesn't get more supernatural than that yes. in, in the DC universe. Uh, the, um, the, by, by the way, the House of Mystery, uh, that original t- story, I just looked it up, is in, uh, Brave and the Bold. It's Brave and the Bold. Okay. Which I, which I love that series as well. And, and that's where Batman really interacted with, of course, he interacted with all sorts of guests, but, um, but in addition to House of Mystery, we were talking about, you know, Dead Man, and that was, uh, Neil Adams as well, drawing that stuff, but, um, uh, two others that come to mind that are kind of along that, that same mode is The Creeper. Oh, sure. And Man Bat. Yes. Yeah, okay, where, now when, when did, and you may not know this off the top of your head, when did Man Bat come about? Ooh. Well, and you know what, honestly, while, while we're thinking about that, look at Clayface. I mean, Clayface taken directly from, I mean, based off of Boris Karloff, essentially. You know, his original identity was Basil Carlo. Right. Uh, you know, definitely taking, you know, not just from horror, but from what was at the time pop culture horror. Um, Believe it or not, Man Bat's uh, origin, his first appearance, rather, was in uh, Detective Comics number 400, which was in 1970. He was created by uh, Frank Robbins and Neil Adams. I was thinking 70s, and I was definitely thinking Neil Adams, because Neil Adams uh, was responsible for, I mean, the 70s, uh, from what I and, and I am not speaking as as a red scholar. I'm speaking as somebody who has sort of poked around in, into Batman research a bit. Uh, but it seems like the '70s brought about a lot of yeah the the, the more hor- horrific elements, and that that's kind of when they were trying to turn away from the Adam West show a bit. Right. It's it's the, really the Batman in the the '40s. Uh, was, uh, the Mad Monk, uh, stuff that we talked about, plus a little bit of, uh, um, mobster stuff. Yeah. But there was some supernatural elements to it as well, um, in, in there. The 50, the 50s and 60, 50s is all science fiction and crazy weird stories. Uh, 60s, they're kind of, hey, the series is popular, so let's, um, Let's uh, uh let's do that. Yeah, exactly. Let's uh, <laughs> let's uh, let's do that. Let's bank on that. So, and then Neil at the end of the '60s, uh, Neil Adams comes in, uh, and and sort of says, "Hey, remember when this guy used to be kind of scary and stuff? Let's do that again." So he brings a lot of elements uh, like Dead Man and 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 Gothic tales and Man Bat and all that kind of stuff into it, and it continues along those lines uh, for. For quite some time, actually. And it's so much so that, you know, I have to believe that... I mean, it's no coincidence that when they finally, finally get around to making a feature film in in, in the late 80s, that they look to a gothic-style visionary like Tim Burton. Yes. Yes. And, and you know what? It really, what? it really is fascinating to think that they went, to Bur- went with Burton's vision... Because, uh, you know, I would venture a guess that it was 85 when, uh, cause Dark Knight Returns was before year one, wasn't it? Uh, yes. 
and and you know Miller was try, was sort of grounding things a, a bit again and, and and making things a little more you know still fantastic in the Batman way but a little more sure. real world getting getting away from the spooky stuff a bit I think and, the, I think it came from the fact that uh, Michael Uslan who owned the rights who had gotten the film rights to Batman when it was really dirt cheap uh, he 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 grew up a Batman fan. Uh, back in the, the, the forties and such. And, uh, he loved that character. And when the 60s series came out, he hated it. Absolutely detested it. He couldn't stand that people were laughing at right, right. his guy. Yeah. So, um, you know, when the smoke cleared and that show was canceled and Batman seemed to be, um, a property that not too many people were interested in. Uh, apart from maybe revitalizing the Adam West uh, character, um, that he was able to snag up the uh, film rights pretty easily. Which, and as late as 1989, people were still saying that Adam West should be Batman. Absolutely. There was a huge, huge uh, petition that was sent in to the studios. Do not make this movie. We want The only Batman that we want is Adam right, West. Right, right. Uh, but Michael Uslan still... Uh, owns the rights to the film rights and uh but but he was he was determined in the 80s you know to make the batman that he remembered so he wanted to bring that supernatural element to it the 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 mob back into it he wanted the batman it was an updated version of it of course but he wanted it very much influenced by the 40s well and thank goodness he did because you know not just because i love those that first tim burton movie but because that's what spawned Batman the Animated Series. That, yes, that absolutely. sensibility, absolutely, and I and I and I agree with that. Um, I, I I will go on record as saying that I am not a big fan of the Burton movies. And uh, he's like, "What? No, I we've we, I think we I think we've <laughs> yeah we probably about have that before, about but um uh and mainly that comes from a story and character perspective. Sure. Uh I've all and that's kind of the way I feel about Tim Burton. I, I think he's really good at setting a mood and a tone uh and 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 doing and doing stuff like that, but sometimes the, you know the story and the characters that uh he portrays is not as developed as they could be. And you know, plus there's the you know the big Kevin Smith likes to tell this joke about Kevin uh, that uh, Tim Burton, you know, publicly said that he'd never read a Batman comic before. And right. Kevin Smith said, "Well, it shows." Um, and so, <laughs> well, um, well, you know what? Kevin Smith may have read every Batman comic there ever were was, but it did not make his Batman comics any better than Tim Burton's right. movie. And that's an absolutely different like. But here's the thing: I, I give Tim Burton a lot of credit because the tone and the mood of that Bat movie is is really outstanding and even more so i think the second one uh batman returns is really like an ode to like the 40s it's got this uh um like german expressionism going on yeah so you've got you know it's it referencing movies like um uh cabinet of dr caligari and nosferatu and stuff like that i mean it, it's just the whole um uh character that uh Christopher Walken plays Shrek, Max Shrek. Exactly, which, absolutely which is Nosferatu. Yes, absolutely, and uh, the stuff he does with Catwoman and the grotesque penguin—we'd never seen a penguin like that before. I mean, it, it that was that was horror. That was 
that was forties expressionist horror. Yes. That, that, that movie was, um, again, I, I, again, the pacing of it, the, the writing of it, some of the characterizations didn't really care for, but yet again, I have to give him credit on the tone. Yeah. His, his vision was incredible. And what's, what's interesting to me is I, I would almost like to see an unrestrained Tim Burton take on Batman, uh, you know, adapting something like red rain would be very interesting because red rain you you don't and that's there's an argument to be made there that how much characterization do we need with a batman you know it depends on the story that's being told but everybody knows who batman is everybody knows the story but that's no excuse i you know it should be any everything every story you write every character you introduce you you as a writer as a creator you have to do your due diligence don't assume that anybody knows anything so you have to you have to make sure that you back it up like you can't you can't just now that's not to say that you have to have an origin story every time out um god knows that's kind of lazy but um you you can't as a creator like you know the way i approach things I, you can't assume that anybody knows anything. You have to give those characters um, a, a backstory, even if it's something that's not said, um, just so that because people know, people can feel it. You know, if if something's flat, they won't buy it. And especially in a in a horror or crime or something, you know, supernatural tale, they'll know right off the bat if there's not um, an element of. Uh, realness to it if there's not something that they can latch on to it doesn't work i i think that it can be minimalistic though and still ring true and still give people a feel for what's happening without saying i am bruce wayne my parents were murdered and i became a bat like i i I think there there are ways around absolutely absolutely i think I mean, and plus, nine times out of ten, it just takes a, a, a word here, a phrase there, a scene maybe at tops, you yeah. know, to, to say, this is what's going on with this guy. Um, you know, you can make him mysterious, and, and, and that's fine. But you still, like I said, you have to have something for people to hold on to, even like a character like Dracula. And Red Rain is, is, is perfect. We have to mention this in this episode, because if oh, we're talking sure. about horror elements of Batman, it doesn't get much more horrifying than that. And that's, you know, Batman versus Dracula in in the best way possible. Well, actually, before we get to that, I want to start with what sort of led to that, which is Gotham by Gaslight. Yes. Uh, that I mentioned before, which is Mike Mignola. Uh, the first thing I ever read by Mike Mignola, as a matter of fact, and it changed everything for me. Because the at the time, the idea of taking the Batman tropes and transplanting them into another era, you know, I, I had never thought about it. It never occurred to me. And then to combine it with Jack the Ripper and later Harry Houdini, of all things, uh, in the second, I which it wasn't just Batman Houdini. What was it called? It was a, it was the sequel to. Gotham by Gaslight. Yeah, I, I, for some reason, I think it was just called Batman Houdini, but uh, or, or some, yeah, I can't remember what it was called either. But, but those, 
uh, you know, Gotham by Gaslight changed the game, not just for Batman, but for the whole entire DC universe because it led, because I don't think it was originally called Elseworlds. No, it wasn't. I feel, yeah, I feel like they went back and stuck that label on it. Initially, it was just this unique standalone thing. Uh, and that was so successful, it led to an entire imprint within DC that opened the doors for Red Rain, which is how I discovered Kelly Jones, one of my favorite artists of all time. And this just, and Doug Monk, we, we have to, uh, is it Monk? Uh, Mank? Sure. I, I, you know what? I don't know how to pronounce it. I, I, I know the name, uh, um, but, uh, M-O-E-N-C-H. Um, yes. So, uh, yeah. Who has gone on to write tons of excellent stuff, but, uh, Red Rain introduced a whole new side of Batman. This, and the ending, spoiler alert, the ending is so messed up <laughs> because Technically, Batman does not win. It's horrifying. No, he, yeah, you're right. And, uh, and the two sequels, uh, two follow-up books are, are pretty good too. Yeah. Uh, Bloodstorm and Crimson Mist, I believe. Yes. Uh, yes. Uh, and, uh, that team, that's a great trilogy. Um, uh, it's, and it's, you know, and when you say Batman versus Dracula, I mean, that's, that's the team up you want. And, and the Elseworlds gave the, the story, uh, tellers the license to play it out in a way that didn't have monthly or franchise ending ramifications. Which I was so excited when DC uh, recently announced the end of the New 52 and, and, and more of a loose continuity because, you know, to me, I thought, oh, this is interesting because this could lead to more Elseworlds type Stories, but that doesn't seem to be the direction that they're going with it. I, yeah, well, I don't know what they're doing right now, but I do know that I was happy to hear that they were in, reintroducing the multiverse as well. I never, I never understood why they wanted to get rid of it to begin with. I mean, I'm, I'm all about, I mean, I'm interested in, and I love continuity as much as the next guy, but to me, they were just sort of, you know, cutting off their nose to spite their face. They were, I love the fact that there were, you know, all these different versions of earth and that, you know, there's some where the world war two was still going on. And there was, you know, the, the, certainly the golden age heroes were on some planet and all that kind of stuff. And it just made things so much more interesting to me. Um, and, and just making it down to one earth was really just not what I was into either. But that said, uh, you know, it did, result in in Elseworlds which we got a lot of great stories I mean a lot of different heroes I mean Batman was done probably more than any of the others just because yeah. who doesn't want to do Batman yeah and and because really you know uh, he he fits all kind of different styles and formats I mean it's one of the reasons why I can enjoy the 60s series and I can enjoy uh, you know Bl- red uh, red rain. And I can enjoy Mad Monk, and I can enjoy uh, Batman Begins, and 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 the animated series, and all that kind of stuff, because I think he's he's a really versatile character. Yeah, I, it's he can fit in. You can work that story into so many different scenarios, which is why, which again, 
it's very interesting. Well, what if this happened? What if this happened? It, like you can tweak it a little bit and create a whole new thing. And, and Castle of the Bat is another one of the very directly influenced by horror Elseworlds, which is the Frankenstein one. Yes. Uh, and, and that was another one. I think that was the one where I realized the potential for working Batman into these, these other worlds. Uh, it was, it was an earlier, like it was early on and in, in when this stuff was going on. And I just realized, I was like, well, this is Frankenstein because red rain is Batman versus Dracula. It's not necessarily inserting Batman into the Dracula mythos. It's inserting Dracula into the Batman mythos. Yeah. Whereas castle of the bat is Bruce Wayne as Dr. Frankenstein, which is a whole different proposition. Yep. And, uh, and, and that's where, you know, I realized things, things changed. Things were quite different. We've mentioned, uh, icons such as Matt Wagner and, uh, Kelly Jones and Neil Adams. Uh, but I have to also, and this might be at the top of my, if I was to pick like a, horror Batman uh, artist or a Halloween Batman artist um, it would be Tim Sale for sure um, I uh, and you know throw Bruce Tim in there as well but Tim Sale's books um, you know we're talking about how Batman is uh, is you can tell all kinds of stories with him and that's always attracted to me one of my favorite books in the 90s late 90s something like that was um, Legends of the Dark Knight mm-hmm. and those were they didn't have to rely on continuity. They would just have a different creative team come in uh, and do a story arc, whether that was four stories, one issue, or four issues, one issue, six issues, whatever it took. Not usually too long. But uh, And one thing that, they, that I used to love, they used to come out with a Halloween issue uh, every year that was um, done by Jeff Loeb, written by Jeff Loeb, and drawn by Tim Sale. And these things were incredible. That first issue... Uh, has the, um, the pumpkin with the bat symbol, uh, etched on it. And it's just, I mean, if that doesn't get your attention. <laughs> well, that, I mean, know. that's, that is probably the most iconic Batman at Halloween thing ever. It's certainly my favorite jack o' lantern ever. Absolutely. But, I mean, that image has been used over and over again when promoting anything comic book related at Halloween. Sure, absolutely. And it started there. Uh, there were three of those. And then DC knew a good thing when they had it. And, and then the um, series, uh, miniseries, The Long Halloween was born. And, uh, and they did a couple of others, I think. But, um, and The Long Halloween is outstanding as well. Yes. Um, and, uh, and, and that's. It, what's amazing is that it feels like a true sequel to year one. Yes, absolutely. It has that same feel to it without the same, I mean, it doesn't look the same. I mean, the art team and the writing is different. Yes. But, um, it, it's, it feels like it takes place in that same world. And it also kind of feels like it could take place in the same world as the animated series. Absolutely. Which, you know, is its own sense of, you know, um, we have to give that a lot of credit too. I mean, they had a lot of great, uh, Halloween themed, uh, episodes in in this in the animated series as well oh you you could pick you could just pick a random episode from the animated series to watch during october and there's a good chance it would be spooky enough to to get your halloween fill yeah uh, well i think in particular there are some with the scarecrow 
Yes, they're scarecrow. Uh, yeah, talk about it. Well, a, the uh, man bat one. You you know you mentioned man bat yep, earlier. Absolutely. All the man bat ones are fantastic. Which again, how weird is it that they opened with man bat? <laughs> I know. That's nobody opens with man bat. <laughs> well, I think. I think it was such a smart move because I think it set the tone like this is not something that you're going to see on the big screen. Right. They didn't bring Joker in until what? Four, fourth episode or so. I mean, it was, it was a very smart move to, to distance it and yet have it feel, you know, tonally similar to, to the movie or to the movies. Cause I guess it's, it launched after, uh, returns came out, I think. Let's see, yes, ninety one, ninety two, right around there. But it was not directly after the first Burton movie. No, and I'm so glad that you know. Uh, no offense, but I'm so glad that Tim didn't have anything to do with it. Tim Burton, that is. Uh, oh, Bruce I agree. Tim, no, I agree. I Bruce, agree. Tim, Paul Dini, Alan Burnett. Uh, those are the three guys that, uh, to me, provided probably the best overall Batman experience I think we've ever had. Yes, absolutely, because it was. They, they nailed everything. It was all very concise. Uh, and, and it, it just nailed the best aspects of every character, just like they went on to do with Superman the Animated Series and Justice League. Sure, sure. But we're not here to talk about that. Nope. We need to wrap up our Batman horror conversation. Absolutely. Uh, well, we, I mean, you know, he's the, he's the perfect, uh, Halloween hero. Uh, you know, he dresses up in a costume and goes out at night. So there's that. Um, <laughs> he's got a big old bat on his chest. Um, he's got some great stories. He's got a, you know, a, a slew of villains that any one of them are, are, you know, make great Halloween costumes or cosplay as well. Um, and he's just, you know, outstanding that way. Um, it, it, he's just perfect for this time of year. And, Again, just the basis of the character makes him perfect for any kind of supernatural interaction or even just tones of it, like you get with Scarecrow, where, you know, Scarecrow is, is the weird evil antithesis of Batman. Right. And, and, well, some of the best stories, though, I find, and I like the Scarecrow as well, you're right. I, a lot of the, the villains are, you know, aspects of him that are just gone rogue or gone wrong, you know. Um, but I always felt like, you know, it's great. He's a, he's a skeptic, even though he's a, you know, he's a, he, he fits very well in the supernatural in that world. He doesn't believe in it. Um, and the reason that he doesn't believe in it, despite the fact that he's seen what he's seen is because he knows his own characteristic is a sham. Like he is trying to convince people he's a supernatural being. So I think that's one of the reasons why he kind of looks at all other supernatural things and says, well, that can't, you know, that can't be real. There must be some trick to it, just like I do. Right, right. Yeah, he, he doesn't take anything for granted. Right. Let's, let's kind of run through his rogues gallery a little bit because it's very interesting. They are all very classic horror tropes. Uh, you have Joker, who has evolved over time but was essentially started off as a mass murderer. Yes. Which is, you know, sort of the serial killer mold. 
but since Joker has evolved, now Mr. Zaz has stepped into that more traditional serial killer type thing. We should also point out, though, that when Jerry Robinson created the Joker, I mean, he looked at uh, there was a it was, the man was who a, laughs, the man who laughed movie and, and kind of said that that's creepy. Let's use him. Yes. So, I mean, so he's got horror elements right there. Yeah, he he began, and and, and so many of them, like we said, Clayface, who's and, who's one of my favorite villains, but who is tough to use because <laughs> how do you beat Clayface? Yeah. Like he's so versatile, it's it's kind of difficult. And granted, he started off as just being able to change his face, and then you know evolve from there, as all of these characters have. But uh, Clayface, kind of a classic horror movie monster, sort of the blob, but also sort of. Uh, like invasion of the body snatchers type thing. And as you mentioned, he's like Lon Chaney who has, you know, obviously ties to the universal classic monsters, Lon Chaney and Lon Chaney Jr. He's like those guys gone bad. Yes. So, um, so he's got elements like that really switching back just briefly. Cause I know he gets a lot of press anyway, but, um, and I don't want to spend too much time on him, but the, I will say as far as the Joker goes, um, he's probably the villain that's responsible in all the media, uh, out, outlets, comics, um, cartoon, as well as the movies, for the most horrifying images in my mind when it when I think of Batman. Well, there, I mean, there is there is nothing, nothing that I have ever read or seen in Batman media is worse than him shooting Barbara Gordon. I will, that, you know what? I, the scene where he's torturing. Commissioner Gordon to me is even worse than that. And and furthermore, whenever I think of the most horrifying scene that I can think of with the Joker, beating Robin to death with a tire iron. Like just the look on his face, the blood drip, we didn't see it. We just right. we we don't see, we don't actually see But we see, know, which makes it worse. Right. You just see the blood on the tire iron yeah. and and it's just or the crowbar, sorry, the crowbar. And and it's just like I got really emotional when I first read that. Like that that story to me still that that panel I can see it as clear as day because that I mean I'd never seen anything like that before. I'd I, seen a lot of weird stuff before and it's a lot of horrifying things, but I, that was like that was taking it to me almost too far. I think Barbara affected me because it I read Killing Joke before I read Death in the Family. Gotcha and. Him shooting Barbara was the first truly horrific act I had seen. Because in my head at that point, uh, I don't know if I had read Dark Knight Returns yet. But something about Dark Knight Returns separates it from Batman in an odd way. Yeah, the scene with the amusement park is creepy and, it, and, it, and, it and evil. It is creepy, but it's so over the top. yes. That I, I don't know that it, and, and I honestly don't remember which order I read these, but it's so over the top, I don't know that it, it had the same impact as the, the subtle Brian Boland art of just, here's Joker at your doorstep, bang. Yeah. That, and, and, and that art played a huge part in it too, those lurid colors, uh, of the original, uh, not not the the recolored version, which I like both for different reasons. Sure, I get you. I'm uh, same way. I'm same way. But man, that original art, that whole story, 
is unsettling just because of those colors and and it's it's just killing joke i'm honestly glad i read it when i was too young to totally get it all <laughs> because it's truly disturbing every page of that book yes from batman losing his shit and and grabbing the guy that he thinks is joker like that's a very disturbing scene and that's batman yep to and that's if if you guys haven't read Killing Joke in a number of years, go back and read it again, and I bet it'll impact you in a different way. Uh, but so Joker has been many different types of horror over sure. the years. Yes, uh, Scarecrow, who very very traditional, very easy horror. Yep. He wants to scare people. That that's his point. He wants to push the limits of fear. Uh, and and find out what people do, and with um with the scarecrow, you get to the artist gets to you uh really be creative in terms of creating uh these these wonderful illusions yes. of what Batman is in others' eyes, as well as what he sees in others, and it just allows uh, a lot of artistic expression, um and uh and can be kind of like really horrifying. And and in my opinion, uh, your mileage may vary, uh, especially if you have not played the game. But the by a long, wide margin, the best portrayal of Scarecrow is uh, John Noble in the most recent Arkham game. Wow, I do have not. Yeah, terrifying. I don't have a console or anything, so I haven't played the game. Absolutely terrifying. Uh, nice. the, his voice acting. I I, I would. You know, obviously on Fringe as Walter. I was going to say, that's the guy from Fringe, right? Yes, yes, who's Walter from Fringe. Uh, you know, he, he had a certain menace to him at times. But as Scarecrow, he just makes your skin crawl. Wow, that's it is, so cool. It's genuinely unsettling. And, of course, with <laughs> I vid- just, it's funny because I just heard you talk uh, last week about um, the films of Wes Craven, and you mentioned Cillian Murphy. That guy is creepy as, uh, like, is creepy in another way. For sure. <laughs> for sure. So when because he shows up in the Nolan films as uh, not really Scarecrow, but as yeah. Jonathan, Cr- well, no, right. but he is Scarecrow because you, you get. Uh, I, I was just getting ready to say when he's sitting with uh, Falcone, who yep. they insist upon referring to as Falcone, which drives me crazy. <laughs> uh, when he's sitting with Falcone in that room, and they're they're he's doing his typical therapist thing, and then he says, "Would you like to see my mask?" I out of nowhere. And, you know, those of us in the know are like, oh, fuck, what is getting ready to happen now? <laughs> because we know, and he's so, those big, piercing, and yet somehow empty eyes that he has. Uh, yeah, he's very, very effective. But, man, that John Noble, if, if you can hunt down some clips on YouTube of uh, Scarecrow from... Uh, Arkham Knight, do it because he's just haunting. I mean, it's really dark, creepy stuff. Um, moving, moving along. The, obviously, there are other villains. Penguin, you never would have thought of his horror until, like you said, Tim Burton turned him into a monster. Uh, right, which was a very Elephant Man type story. Sure, uh, and, and you know, there's uh, not only taking influence from real life but but obviously from david lynch uh is is never a bad move 
trying to think who else. What are the, what are there, uh, who else? Riddler doesn't really fit into the horror mold at all. I'm trying to think of uh, not really Hugo I mean, Strange. I mean, you, you obviously have to mention him as the uh, bit of a mad scientist type, uh, wanting also a bit of a single white female vibe because he True. wanted to take over Batman's identity. That was one of his gimmicks at one point. Uh, and he's been a long-standing uh, one of those villains that you know is, is on sort of a level plane with Batman in, in his resources and in his the way that his mind works. Yeah, I, I, man, I, I don't think they, I haven't seen him used in ages in a way that I, I really liked. So. Yeah, it's, I don't even know if he's shown up in the new Fifty Two. To be honest with you, but. Uh, he he was in, he also was in the Arkham games, and 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 very much like the animated series, the Arkham games are kind of uh, the best encapsulations of every character. Uh, Hugo Strange takes over Arkham Asylum in the second game, and is is one of the antagonists, and uh, just used very well. It's it's the basics of what you want from Hugo Strange. I keep it's waiting just, for him to pop up on Gotham. Oh, it'll happen for sure. I, that's why I'm surprised it hasn't already. Uh, well, you know what? They've got a lot going on. <laughs> <laughs> they have a full plate. I I am so excited to watch last night's episode. I haven't watched it yet. Oh, I would love that. Man, I thought we were definitely going to talk about that for sure. Yeah, so. we can't. We can't. We Because I, yeah. I, I watched uh, – well, this is the second one, right? Yes. Second one of the new season. Uh, the first one, I loved it. It was just – Bonkers, and I'm glad that they're Actually, going this way. I think we're way. in the three now. Is this the third one? I believe so. Yeah, you're right. You're right. You're right. Because the first one is the one where they were uh, tossing guys off the building to spell. No, the first one was the one where he broke them out of the asylum. The second one was when they were tossing guys off the building yes. to spell a word. <laughs> yes. And we and had the scene with uh, Jerome that I felt it would have been much more impactful if rather than doing the Russian roulette thing on himself, he had just taken the gun and shot the other guy. Right. I think that would have been a much better way to go. And I get why they did what they did, and also they needed the other guy for later. They needed him to be shot later on. <laughs> <laughs> but that would have been more jokery to me. That The other one was too theatrical, and like, Joker, you know, he's crazy, but he's not dumb. So, uh, but anyway... Gotham is is batshit crazy. If you gave up on it last season, give it another chance this season. Because no, it's it's its own thing. You have yes, to throw everything you know out the window. It's Elseworlds. Yeah, it's really it, it's, Elseworlds. It's what if everything happened all at once in Gotham? <laughs> <laughs> um, any are there any other uh, specific things you want to cover about about horror in Batman? Um. I think we've, you know, covered most of it. I, I'm trying to think of something that uh, is outstandingly obvious uh, that people are listening to this going, I can't believe they're not mentioning this. Uh, yeah, and if you if you guys have, if you're listening and you are thinking, I can't believe they're not mentioning this, go and join the Needless Things Podcast Facebook group and let us know what we missed. Because I'm sure there is stuff we missed because we only yeah, have an hour I mean, here. He, well, and yes, he's had 75 years of history. So. And, right, exactly. <laughs> there are for sure, like, one-shot stories down the line that we totally glossed over and, and missed. And, and there are things, uh, there, there are plenty of 
you know, horror that's not necessarily supernatural. There's, uh, was it Gotham County Line? Right. Which was One, a great, that's, uh, wasn't that by Steve Niles? Uh, yes. Yeah, which yes. is, you know, if you're going to talk about horror, there you go. Yes, one of the premier name, if not the premier name of horror comics in this day and age. Um, I also got to mention one story that uh, is earlier than that, a miniseries. And it was the first time I'd really um, picked up a, a prestige miniseries. This is, I think, before even Dark Knight Returns. Uh, but it was Batman the Cult. Oh, yeah, Bernie Wrightson. Oh, yes. Beautiful art. Um, start, and a great story, a horrifying story. I mean, Batman gets broken. Yeah. Um, by this sort of supernatural figure. Yeah, and, long uh, before Bane was even yes, thought of. Yes, absolutely. Um, and, uh, it's a, it's a great, great story. It's one of my favorites. It's probably right up there in my top ten of all my favorite Batman stories. And it's interesting that it doesn't come up more often because I remember when I was really getting into, um, probably 87 or 88, when I was really digging into some Batman stuff, uh, my buddy that was the, the comic book guy, the cult was the first thing he recommended to me. Oh, wow. Uh, yeah, he, well, he was, he's an artist and, uh, it's, it's my buddy Scott. Uh, he is, which you can find him at shoot the moon comics on Tumblr and on Facebook. Um, but he told me to read the cult and it was based off of, you know, more off the artwork of Bernie Wrightson than anything else. But, uh, that guy never steered me wrong on a comic book and, and he was right about that one as well. Absolutely. Yeah. I definitely would recommend if, if people are, are looking for interesting reads or, uh, bat stories, uh, for this time of year, that's a good one. And I, and I know it's been collected a couple of times and you can probably find the original prints for, for not too much because like I said, it, it doesn't, uh, for whatever reason, it's not one of the big classic stories, despite the fact, you know, I think it got eclipsed by uh dark knight returns i mean it came out right before that and it was their, like i said their first prestige uh, miniseries and then they followed that up with uh dark knight returns and that was so huge that you know it was like oh this is really groundbreaking right so, right you know and plus it just hasn't been referenced often enough i mean uh they've done a until the new 52 or whatever they did a pretty good job at, at keeping that story isolated and that guy did like a uh, deacon what uh, uh, is it blackfire blackfire thank yeah. you uh he shows uh, up in the arkham games too awesome yes yeah so i mean but but in the comics i mean they had pretty much you know uh left him lying there so yeah he i think which is i batman, thought was good it's batman like batman eternal was the first time he showed up in a long time. Like, ever. Like, like since the goal. Yeah, I, th- yeah. I think that might be right, which is pretty cool. Yeah, I thought that was really good, uh, that they didn't that they didn't necessarily feel that they needed to do a sequel. Because I think in some cases, Bane, that sure. it really kind of, you know, diluted the character. Oh, the for sure. They showed him. Very so. rarely. His, as much as I enjoyed uh, Secret Six... Uh, and that characterization of Bane was fun. Sure. It still undermines the original Bane story. Yeah. Well, yeah, I think it, yeah, I think it does. I mean, it, it, in some ways. And there's, you know, I did think that Bane was used a little bit, um, better in some other stories as well. But, I mean, yeah. I mean, they, they, he was obvious, he was used way too much. Well, and, and he is another one that's just hard to do. 
because yeah. he is, you know, the, the mental equal to Bruce Wayne and the physical superior to Bruce Wayne. So what, what do you do with that when yeah. it's a bad guy that doesn't have the limitations that Bruce Wayne puts on himself? Well, I mean, he's got, you look for the other weaknesses, which Bruce did, which is his. Right, right. But I'm saying, Venom, yeah, I'm so. saying as a writer. Oh, right. You know, where do you, where do you stop that guy? Well, you know, how do you write in where he ends? It's, it's tough. So I, you know, he's kind of like Mr. Freeze, really. Where Mr. Freeze is different because his, it's his motivations that limit him. But, you know, Bane is just, he's one of those tough characters that, you know, what do you do? Because all he wants to do is break the bat. Right. And obviously he's not going to break the bat again. So what's left? Yeah. They, uh, yeah. And that's what they should have, instead of saying, oh, we need to use him, they should have said, well, we don't really know what to use him for yet. So let's just wait. And yes. they, they didn't do that. So, well, I think, uh, we've covered. The horror of the Batman, as much as we can for one night, it's certainly a topic that I think could be revisited in the future. Probably after I've sat down and actually uh, refreshed myself on a bunch of these books. You'll be like, damn it, we forgot this one. Yeah, 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 absolutely. <laughs> but, but that's uh, the beauty of it, you know? I mean, it, it is. These are just like, you know, starting points. And, and, and the ones that made a, a definite impression on me, you know? I mean, the the it, I don't think it's a coincidence that I Batman is my favorite or one of my favorite superheroes that I've been involved with since, like I said, I can't remember a time that he wasn't there. And, uh, um, cause I'm not 76 years old. Um, <laughs> so, <laughs> uh, but, um, you know, I, I don't think it's a coincidence that I also really, it, it appeals to me, the, the, the Gothic setting, uh, London and, 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 and mystery stories of, of Sherlock Holmes and Jack the Ripper and, and Houdini and, and all that time period, which, you know, uh, is, is covered in other tales and, and, and Alan Moore does it really well in League of Extraordinary Gentlemen, but bringing a lot of that stuff together and it just, you know, Batman kind of fits in there as well. So, uh, um, I think, uh, it, it's all tied together that way. And my love for Halloween too, cause it's all a bunch of fun. Yeah. It all, it, I mean, it all works. It, it's, they're, they're, it's the, the superhero fantasy. It's the supernatural elements. It's it's just everything that that is just cool stuff. Uh, it, it's all wrapped up in a nice bat shaped package, <laughs> which is entirely unlike the Superman shaped package that we were discussing at the top of the show. <laughs> Mike, thank you so much for taking some time to talk about Batman. Uh, before exactly. before we close it up, where can we find you online? What are you doing? What are you working on? Well, I am uh, still working on uh, Tiki Zombie issue three, but that is uh, going to be out pretty soon. I'm excited about that. Uh, you can find out uh, all my uh, writings and all the books that we've got uh, published uh, at uh, newlegendmike.com. Uh, also, of course, I'm part of uh, the ESO network, the main show, uh, Earth Station One. Uh, and, uh, you know, you can just go to ESO podcast and earthstation1.com to find me there. Awesome. Well, thanks a lot, man. I appreciate it. And uh, I guess we will have you back next month for uh, maybe the turkeys of Batman. <laughs> well, well just, I'm sure we could still, you know, make a show about that. We'll discuss there's, there's, the there's worst. There's plenty of turkeys. Yes, the worst Batman stories. 
in, in that one, the, the penguin might be relevant. Oh no! <laughs> in 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 every sense of the word. Uh, so. Yeah, absolutely. Happy Halloween, sir! Thank you so much for inviting me. Happy Halloween to you. Man, I love talking to Mike Gordon, right? Don't we have, for those of you that have been listening since the beginning, uh, or at least this year since I've ended up having him on about once a month this year, don't we have the best conversations? Uh, there's a reason I refer to that guy as my brother from another mother, because we just, uh, we, I feel like we tend to get on a wavelength, you know? I mean, I can, I can talk to anyone for the most part, but there's some folks that you just... You have a conversational comfort with, and uh, your brains kind of engage and, and work in tandem. And I feel like me and Mike have that going on. Uh, and I'm thrilled that he is willing to come on the show as often as he is and bring his expertise and his knowledge, and uh, and his you know often contrary to my opinions. You know, I, I like that, and, and it, we can have interesting conversations with divergent points of view that don't get ugly as so many things on the internet tend to and i hope you guys enjoy and pick up on and appreciate all of that Uh, because it's the kind of thing that makes doing this worthwhile regardless of how many people are listening which i'm sure you guys number in the tens by this point so here's the deal go to facebook Join the Needless Things Podcast Facebook group. Give us your feedback. If you have a story to tell on the show, let me know. If you have a thing you want featured, let me know. I don't know all the stuff, and I can't come up with every idea in the world. I could use your help. Also, go to needlessthingssite.com for all the cool stuff going on. Uh, We've got several contributors now. What, six? Six or seven we're up to. And we're going batshit crazy for Halloween. 31 Days of Halloween is in full effect. Jerry is pulling more than his fair share of the posts. Beth is on fire right now. Christina's got new stuff up. Uh, hopefully, Mr. Yule will get some pieces in. Uh, but I know he's super busy right now, and believe me, I know how that is. But we've just good times all around. And guys, thank you for listening. I will be back next week with some new thing. Uh, a status update on Earth Station Boo, hopefully, which you can go to esopodcast.com. We are part of the ESO network and search for Earth Station Boo, and you will hear what I think are the best Halloween podcasts you have ever heard. I'm serious. Uh, I produce them, they're my babies, and we have a huge, talented panel on each one of them. I think you'll really enjoy them, so check those out too. All right, guys, I gotta go. I gotta pay attention to driving because I am still in the car, uh, even though it's been an hour and a half. It hasn't really. It's only been like five minutes. All right, seriously though, I love you guys. This has been a broadcast of the ESO Network, your station for all things geek. Classic, current, and beyond. Be part of the crew at esonetwork.com.